0: See, the Bearcats are kind of like to the Griffins what KU can sometimes be to MU, except the Bearcats actually deliver. Ouch. (laughs) Oh. So petty. See, it's the beautiful power of the gospel that can bring us all together to worship the same Father. So we've been kind of going through these middle sections of the book of John, kind of looking at some of Jesus' last words um, before his crucifixion and resurrection. And when we kind of got to the end of chapter 14 last week, uh, as we come to the conclusion of that chapter, the setting shifts. Jesus and his disciples, to this point that we've been looking at, they've been in a meeting in what we call the upper room where the Last Supper took place. And, and Jesus has kind of rolled out some kind of really disturbing and troubling news to his disciples, telling them that amongst them there was going to be betrayal and denial. And Jesus is saying, hey, guys, my, my hours here on earth are drawing to a close. And realizing that, that that's a lot of heavy information to take in a really small amount of time, Jesus spent a little bit of time that we've been looking at kind of comforting them, encouraging them, um, that there's some good news in this too, Um, that if they could just kind of get their eyes off of the apparent chaos of the moment and kind of lift their eyes up to be able to see things from a bigger perspective, that there's a lot to be joyful for and and excited about. And at the end of uh, verse 31, the very last sentence in chapter 14, Jesus says, come now let us leave. So at this point, Jesus would have gathered them up and they would have been walking on a path in a direction towards the Garden of Gethsemane, which later that night, Jesus was going to be arrested there. But all along the way, they would have walked by potentially um, multiple vineyards um, on the path there um, because you know vineyards are pretty common throughout Israel. And so Jesus takes that moment where he's got all these visual aids here, very tangible things he can look at to, to kind of give a, a lesson to his disciples about the kind of life that was going to be necessary for them to navigate all of the trials and challenges that were going to lie ahead of them. And on this, this, in this famous passage we're going to look at today on the vine and the branches, Jesus communicates that there's a life that is intended for us to live, all of us. Of, of connection and community with God that, that's marked by us displaying the life of Christ to the world around us. Or as Young Life puts it, Jesus was talking about the life that we were made for. So I want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles uh, to John 15 if you want to open uh, the Bibles. Uh, it's page 983 in the Pew Bibles. We're going to start with verses 1 through 5 of chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does, does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is is using some language um, that these Israelite men would have understood um, as kind of some symbolism. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was referred to as a vineyard. Um, quite often. So I want you to hold your fingers there in John 15, and I want you to flip your Bibles back to Isaiah chapter 5. It's page 622. Isaiah's is a really famous prophet about 700 years before Christ's birth. In chapter 5 of Isaiah, you see this passage called the Song of the Vineyard. So starting in verse 1, it says this, the prophet says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah, are the vines he delighted in, and he looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. So this was a prophecy about the coming reality of Israel. Since God's vineyard, Israel, had only produced bad fruit, He's saying, "I'm going to turn you over to your enemies." And so, over the course of several hundred years, you see them, uh, you know, routed by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, their people. Uh, hauled off their, their temples, the walls around the city destroyed, even leading up to the time when Jesus arrives and the Roman Empire has occupation and has conquered um, the Israelites. So, so in John 15, when Jesus begins, he begins by declaring, guys, I'm the true vine. I, I'm the, the fulfillment of all that God wanted Israel to be and, and you can put your trust in me I'm the fulfillment of his plans. And then Jesus dives into this metaphor where he is the vine and God is the gardener and we are the branches. And the vine um, is the giver of life. It's what's connected to the ground where all the nutrients are. And so through the vine, it gives life to the rest of the plant. And so us as branches, we don't have to, Wonder how are we going to make fruit happen? Fruit appears as a natural byproduct of the branch being connected to the vine, which for us should be a giant relief that we don't have to make fruit happen ourselves. Okay? Remain in me. So this is, this is a command, really an invitation that, that Jesus continues to give throughout this passage we're gonna look at. And what Jesus is really saying when he's saying, remain in me, he's saying, stay where you already are. Stay where you already are. Remember, he's, he's, he kind of weeded out the bad branch already. Judas was gone. And so in verse three, we notice it says, you guys are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. You guys are already connected. Just stay there. You see, through the miracle of salvation, and the Bible says that we become a new creation, that we are born again. It says that we become one with Christ. And so Jesus is saying, just stay there. Stay where you are. Why? Why does he keep talking about this? Well, the reality is, as a lot of them found out, was that there's a lot of people who talk the talk. Right? They, they, they go around and, and they look the part, but when it comes down to it, you, you realize that they were never really on board to begin with. And Judas was kind of like example number one of this, right? I mean, he, he had hung out with Jesus day and night for like three years. He had heard all the same sermons that the other guys heard. He had seen the same miracles. He had been sent out himself. Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the disciples two by two to go and preach the gospel and heal diseases. He had done amazing things in the name of Christ, right? He, he got the costume on. <laughs> he's playing the role. But upon closer examination, he's more like plastic fruit than the real thing. Y'all, plastic fruit is just weird. <laughs> I mean, how many of you grew up in a home That had plastic fruit as a decoration. Or a grandparent, right? Grandparent's home. What was that all about? I mean, because when I was a kid and I would see it, it made me want fruit. But then I couldn't have it. Because it was fake. It was just cruel. It's a giant tease. I don't even know what the present day correlation to it could be. But Judas was like those fake grapes. So Jesus says here that the gardener, God, he cuts off those branches that aren't producing fruit. Now, what does the Bible mean when it talks about bearing fruit? That, that's, that's an analogy that I think for maybe some young Christians can be kind of hard, like, what is, what is he talking about? So if you had to define what spiritual fruit is, what would you say that is? What are they talking about in the Bible when they say, bear fruit? Yes, fruits of the Spirit, okay? Galatians 5, okay, it talks about, but the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. So these attribute, attributes of Christ, okay, that are the, are the outcome of living a life connected to him, you will see these things, you'll be growing in these things. You'll become more loving, more peaceful, more joyful, more self-controlled as you come to know Christ more, Okay? What could be another example of fruit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, doing the things that Christ does. Okay. Yeah, good. Anything else? Yeah. Okay. Good. That you're being transformed, that you're not staying the same person that you once were. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Other people are blessed through you. So you might say that, that so-and-so person, I'm a Young Life leader, I've invested in this kid and they've come to Christ and they're growing, that, that's, that they're kind of like my, the fruit of my life, right? Evidence that, that my changed life is helping to change other people's lives. Good. Much better than last week. Okay? So in general, this idea of bearing fruit is to produce Christ-likeness, Okay? It's a simple test. It's a simple test to see if somebody is connected to the vine. Are you connected to Jesus? Is there evidence of fruit in your life? And, and, and that, should, that should not be a question where people have to kind of scratch their head, right? If you look at somebody else's life, you should be able to see fairly clearly, like, is that person changing? Is there evidence of Christ-likeness growing in them. And if you're wrestling and struggling to figure that out for yourself or in the lives of others, you might need to really take a look. (laughs) There is no such thing as a pseudo-connection or a sort of Christian, right? A branch is either connected to a vine or it isn't. There's no kind of halfway connected A branch that's kind of partly broken, it's going to die. It's got to be fully connected to continue to live, okay? So you can't fake it. And verse 2 makes it clear that the father is doing one of two things. He's either cutting off bad branches that aren't bearing fruit, or he's pruning branches that are producing good fruit, okay? And to prune means to kind of cut back. He's cutting back on branches so that they'll get stronger, develop, so they can hold more, okay? I want you to, to, you can hold hold your finger there. I want you to flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. Starting about partway through verse 5. It says this, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son endure hardship as discipline god is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline then you are not legitimate not true sons and daughters at all moreover we have all that human we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So being cut off... Or being pruned back. Those are both painful processes. They both involve cutting. But one produces something of use for the kingdom. Right? Here it's described as this harvest of righteousness. Right? Abundant fruit in our lives. And unfortunately, it's the inevitable suffering that comes in this world. The the byproduct of living in a broken world. Where so many people uh, who signed up for what I would say is kind of the the American dream Christianity, the hashtag blessed Christianity. Instead of the broken way of Jesus, the way we talked about of downward mobility. It's in those times of, of suffering that people just kind of abandon ship. And it happened to Jesus a lot. You see it in the life of Judas, but he's just one of many. John chapter 6 in particular, Jesus gives what, what, what even his disciples said was, man, that's a hard teaching. He was just trying to be clear, trying to be blunt, just brutally honest about this is what it's going to mean to follow me. It's not going to be whatever you want it to be, or whatever you decide is good for you. It's what I say it is. And at the end of that time in John 6 verse 66 Jesus says this or the, the the writer John says this from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him not just many of his sh- stragglers or the crowd many of his disciples the people that were committed that were following him from town to t- town to town that had maybe given up a lot of things to be on the road with Jesus because they believed in him all of a sudden it says they don't follow him anymore Why is the church largely ineffective? Why are many marriages in the church crumbling? It's because I think so many Christians just aren't remaining in Christ. They're not staying connected. Remember, when Jesus is talking on the last night before he dies, he's trying to communicate to them everything they need to know in in order to, to take this gospel message And spread it to the rest of the world. And he wants them to understand guys, the way this is going to get accomplished isn't going to be by your busyness, by your making things happen. He's saying that's not how the kingdom of God is going to advance. Stuff is going to happen if you just remain in me, let me do the work. Look at verse 6, back in John 15, if you've lost track of where we are now. Jesus says, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Basically what Jesus is trying to say is, guys, God is for you. He wants to be glorified. And so if you stay connected, remain in him, he is going to produce abundant fruit in your life because that just amplifies his glory, which is what he wants, right? So just cooperate with him a little bit, and believe me, he is there. He's ready to support you, encourage you, give you whatever it is you need, to stay true to him. And we see a great example of this in the book of Acts. The disciples, after Jesus is resurrected and he sends into heaven, he sends them out to, to take this gospel message, and he says, I want you to start in Jerusalem. And so there in Jerusalem, Peter and John begin preaching boldly the death and resurrection of Jesus, and thousands of people are coming to Christ and then in one scene, right after there's this huge conversion, they, they approach a lame man and they, they actually heal him and he gets up and walks. And the Jewish authorities, and the religious leaders are getting pretty threatened, pretty worried because it, the crowds are coming to Jesus and they kind of want to stamp this thing out. They thought they'd done that when they crucified him. So they call him before the Jewish authorities for questioning. Flip over to, to Acts, just the next book over, chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, in verse 8, they had just asked him, By what power are you doing these things? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone your builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They took note that these men had been with Jesus, that these guys were remaining in him, connected to the vine, producing good fruit that lasts. Notice they didn't say, they took note that Peter and John were wearing cross necklaces. Or they noticed that they had this awesome tattoo of the word peace on their arm or joy or whatever, and nothing, you know, nothing bad about that. I get it. They didn't say They took note that they saw those guys at the Crowder concert last night. And not that any of those things are bad, but they're just not a substitute for true intimacy with Christ. Doing things for him, showing up in the right places sometimes and kind of looking the part is not equal to intimacy and relationship with God. Only you can do that in your own time with him. When I was 16 and gave my life to Christ at a Young Life camp, I'm pretty sure I really did not have an idea of what I was signing up for. Pretty much like seven years later, when I stood up on a church, what do you call this, not a stage, I guess, yeah, And stood before a room full of people like this and said, I do, to my wife. I'm pretty sure I didn't know what I was signing up for that day either. Either did she, probably, right? (laughs) But the future was kind of this big mystery. But I I knew this about following Jesus. (laughs) Is that if I was going to stay in the game with Jesus, I was going to have to spend time with him. I mean, I didn't know much. I was pretty young and immature, but I understood that. I understood that I was gonna have to spend time with him when I felt like it and when I didn't. And when things were hard and when they were easy and through all seasons of life. And I've been following Jesus now for for over 30 years and I've seen a lot of people abandon ship when the rowing got too hard. And when it seemed maybe that life wasn't going like they thought it might, or maybe even like they thought they deserved. And it's one of the saddest things to watch happen. Because if you think about God as being this light, and and that as we turn towards him and repent and we begin this journey, the closer we get to that light, just the more our life is illuminated, right? And then when people, because of just whatever reason, decide that maybe this Jesus thing really wasn't all that it was cracked up to be, and they decide they're going to turn and kind of walk away from that, guess what happens? It's inevitable. You're walking towards darkness. That's all that can happen is it can get darker. And I've watched too many people make that decision and just begin, their hearts become Hard and bitter, and they just walk away, and they think that maybe they can kind of stay in some middle ground, but there is no middle ground. You're either walking towards the light or you're walking towards darkness. Those are the two options. When people are settling for something way less than what God had for them. And today, I want to end our time with something a little different, is I want to, I want to get into what I would call kind of practical theology, not just talking about this idea of remain in me and then kind of leave you to kind of figure out what that means, but I want to bring up some people that, that have been walking with Jesus for a long time. They're old like me. And, and I'm going to have them share, because I respect them and, and their, their walk with God, um, what it's looked like for them to remain with Jesus through the peaks and the valleys and the ups and downs in the seasons, whether it's marriage or having kids or career or just life happening. So I want you to learn from their wisdom a little bit. So Dave Hind and Stacey Kearns are gonna come up and share a little bit with us. Let's give them a round of applause for just being willing, right? <laughs> So both of these guys were, were part of the, the group that helped us start our church, so I've literally been in community with them for a long time. So I'm going to let them chat.
1: Okay, well, last week when you were talking about Jesus explaining to his disciples that he was going to send the advocate or the Holy the Holy Spirit to just make his home with us and that we would be temples of the living God. And then you um, referenced 2 Peter verse 1-3 that tells us that we already have everything that we already need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Christ, and I thought, well, that's the key right there, our knowledge of Christ, and just in the last couple of weeks, I've been sharing this little mini-testimony with a few friends about how just this knowledge of Christ and remaining in the vine just makes fruit happen all by itself, and you didn't know I was telling people that, and here I am, and now I get to tell everybody. Oh, I knew. I <laughs> knew. And so I can tell you about some of the fruit of that, but I thought it might make sense to sort of just sort of step back and talk about some of the just tangible nuts and bolts of what it looks like to remain in the vine or what it's looked like for me. And I know that there are tons of spiritual disciplines, and, you know, some of, us, some of them come easier for us than others, but I just have a few that I've just kind of been my go-to spiritual disciplines for a really long time. And um, one of them, and this is an easy one for me, is just reading Scripture and being in the Word. I just like to read. I like to study. I like to read the stories. And so that one's just come pretty naturally. And I'm pretty much in the Word almost every day. And over the years, it's taken a really long time to learn how to, how to do that well and how to be systematic about it. But that's just what I like to do. I just like to read Scripture. Um, another one I've kind of developed over the years is um, memorizing Scripture. And I keep this here I have, one, have this little tattered little thing that I write down scripture in, and I try to memorize it as much as I can, and um, because inevitably, you know the deceiver's going to come, and whisper lies to us, and so it's just good to have this arsenal of the truth ready so that I can fight those. So I read scripture, memorize scripture, and I pray scripture. so Reading the Bible is pretty easy for me. Praying, I am like the worst. It is so hard for me. And I feel like I know it's on my heart, but words just escape me. And especially praying in a group with people, I just get all awkward and sweaty. It's just, <laughs> and it's just no good. But the Bible, thankfully, is already full of prayers. I mean, there's the book of Psalms and the prayers of Paul, and so often when I'm praying, especially if I'm praying for people, I'll just ask God to reveal to me like what do you want me to pray for these people and, um, and I'll just find like scripture that kind of already says what God wants me to pray for those people. So praying scripture and finally speaking scripture with other people. Um, I have a, woo, I'm losing things. Um, I just have a couple of close friends in my life who I know are always going to speak the word to me because they're immersed in the word too. And um, I know that every time, and I mean every time, <laughs> that I visit with Barbara LaRitson or Monica Store, they're going to be able to tell me what God's up to and how they're responding to that. And um, I really love that because you might think it's like accountability partners, but I don't like that word. <laughs> Because accountability kind of implies that you're you're calling out what's broken or messed up or what needs to be fixed. But these ladies call out what God's already up to in their life, in my life, and the life of the church. And that's inspiring. And so I like to think of them as my inspiration partners. I like that so much better. So those are just, you know, just kind of the nuts and bolts of this, these habits that I've cultivated over a long time that have created just a lifestyle of remaining in the vine. So... So um, when I try to think about just the fruit of that over a long time, I mean, I could Devin and I could probably boil it down to a couple of things, and um, one of those was what you already talked about, just kind of transformation in the trials, and I mean, you've said a lot of times that this world is messed up because we're messed up, and it's just a matter of time before the messed up comes and finds us, and um, I just know that we're not getting out of this life without some heartache and um, but after being in the word for a lot of years we know the promises we know what to put our hope in we know that suffering and sickness and sadness don't define us you know they don't have the final claim on us and that's carried us through some really hard times but um, I know some of you might be thinking (laughs) I know the Kearnses and y'all have been a right mess and which is true, but um, if we didn't have like all these years of having our feet on the rock on the front end, I mean, there have been times that we would have just sunk into the sand for sure. So, one of the verses that I've memorized over the years that I've really clung to during those times where transformation can happen in the middle of the trials, I say I've memorized it, but I knew I'd get up here and then I would just be, you know, all awkward and forget it. But, um, Psalm 107 verses 19 and 20 says, "They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them from their distress. He sent forth His word and healed them. I mean there's real healing power in the word, but we have to know we have to know what the word is. So even though some of those dark storms that we've been through are still storming, and they're still the same. I'm hoping that we're not the same. I mean, I know we're not the same. And so, anyway, so that's just kind of been our journey over the long haul, that we've just allowed the, the trials to transform us. And if it hadn't, then I wouldn't be here today getting to tell you about the fruit and the things that God's up to today, which is the fun part. So, my little mini-testimony that you think you already know. <laughs> um, so a couple years ago, Devin and I both kind of got this shared vision that um, we really needed to simplify our lives, that we needed to declutter and get unbusy. And um, so I went back to being a stay-at-home mom. Um, we've resisted the temptation to let our kids be involved in all kinds of things. We've held some nights and some weekends in our week absolutely sacred that we don't go do other things. And we've just created this time and this space to just kind of chill out and sort of in the midst of all that, Justin preached a really, really good sermon about the destructive power of busyness. And so I'm like, well, there you go. And so then we have this, we have this space in our life, and I'm like, okay, I got big ideas, and I got big plans, and come on, baby, let's do this, and let's do this, and, and I'm ready to build a homeless shelter in the backyard, and we're, <laughs> we're like ready to go. <laughs> but uh, Devin is the wise one and but he's really nice about it and he'll say yeah or maybe we could just be in the word together and pray together and be patient and see what God sets in front of us because if we remain in the vine fruit's going to happen all by itself
0: boring <laughs>
1: and like so what are you going to say to that besides okay So um, we've done that, and we've noticed over time that God's given us this really unexpected personal ministry that we never would have come up with on our own, and he just taught us to be sensitive and attentive and fully present to whoever happens to be in front of us, like right now, and to be present in the moment, and not only to just be present, but to share whatever we have. With whoever's in need in front of us. And so sometimes that's financial resources. Sometimes it's compassion. Sometimes it's hospitality. But most of the time, we're just confronted with people who just need to be heard, that just need somebody to notice they're there, to feel their pain, to listen, and not be on our phone or running off. Because one of the things that I hated, I hated hearing myself say when somebody asked, Hey, how's it going? How's your family? and just la, 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 la. we're so busy. And I got so sick of hearing myself say that I decided I never want to say that again because when I say oh we're so busy what I'm really saying is I don't have time for you. And so that's just not who we wanted to be and um that's been a lot of fun and we never could have planned this and we never would have thought it was glamorous or anything like that. But uh what We've learned in the midst of all that is something that I could tell you in my own words, but my buddy Ann Voskamp would say it so much better. Oh, it's so hard to do it this is. with one hand.
0: You've got the microphone, <laughs> go. yes. I feel your pain.
1: And then you don't wear your glasses, and it's terrible. Okay, <laughs> so just really quickly, she says love gives and huge acts to try to make someone happy don't make anyone as hugely happy as simply doing small acts to make someone feel loved. Amen, right? Mm. Thank you, Ian. <laughs> so that's my story.
0: Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um,
2: kind of like Stacy said, there's lots of disciplines that you could talk about as far as remaining in Christ. I, I've got a, a couple things, uh, a couple short stories that maybe go with those. Um, One thing that I learned later in life, following Christ, um, I became a Christian when I was 18, senior in high school, through young life, I I became a Christian, so I guess it's been a little over 30 years now that I've been following Christ, and I think it was 10 years ago, um, I'd been reading in Galatians, and and you talked about this verse, and so I'd been kind of thinking about uh, some of the things I've been reading in Galatians. And one of the things for me about remaining in Christ is knowing God's word, you know, reading the Bible and knowing God's word. Um, but also, kind of like Devin and Stacy said, that that needs to lead to transformation. And I had one of those moments, um, I don't know, Haley was 10 or 11, my daughter, and, and it was, uh, we had soccer practice at five, and I told her, Haley, you know, hey, Soccer practice in a half an hour. Make sure you got your water bottle and your cleats and your shin guards. She's like, yeah, okay, okay. I'm like, seriously, I want you to remember this, you know, because when, when we get ready to go, we need to go. Okay. So then I gave her like a five-minute warning. Hey, Haley, you know, five minutes. We're going to be taking off. Shin guards, you know, cleats, water bottle. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys probably know where this is going. <laughs> um, so we're halfway to soccer practice, and Haley's like, oh, Dad, I don't have my shin guards. And um, I don't know why. I don't know what was going on in my life. But I just kind of <laughs> lost it. I was like, Haley, oh, my gosh. I gave you three. Warning of you know, and I just kind of yelling and screaming at Haley, my 11-year-old daughter, um, as I'm driving her to soccer practice. And I was like, all right, we'll drive back and yeah, run in and get her, you know. And uh, so I dropped her off at soccer practice. And I was driving home. And I was like, what is the matter with me? What is going on? Um, and a couple days later, I read in Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I committed those to memory because I'm like, I need to remember these. Um, and I, what I kind of noticed was that I felt like I was maybe getting further away from those things than closer to those things, that I was kind of doing all these Christian things, but that God's word wasn't really transforming my life. And um, so I took a hard look at myself, and I also realized that um, I had been kind of excusing sin in my life, you know, making excuses for my sin. Well, I'm impatient, but you don't understand, and I'm, I'm angry, but I think I'm just wired that way. I've got a short temper, and Um, you know, we like to say that I'm I'm just kind of wired that way or, um, you know, there's just no excuse for, or it's hard for me to forgive that. I can't forgive this person. You don't know what they've done. It's like, yeah, you know, everybody has that story, right? Um, and I know for some people in here, you've been through some really hard things. It's, it's, and forgiveness is a thing to work through, but, um, I just started excusing my sin and, um, I realized I need to let the scriptures transform my life. And uh, so that's really helped me remain in Christ, is not only to know the scriptures, but to not excuse my sin and to let those things transform me. Because, guys, if we're not becoming more loving, gracious, kind, compassionate, generous people, we're, we're missing it, right? We're missing that. Um, if we're excusing our sin by saying, ah, this is, you don't understand my situation, or this is just the way I'm wired, or this... You know, we're just, we're kidding ourselves. Um, So that was something I learned kind of later on in life. Another thing for me uh, as far as remaining in Christ, and this was something for some reason I knew I needed from the very beginning when I first met Christ, was just community. Just other people in this with me. Um, For some reason, I knew early on, I'm going to need some people to walk this thing with me. Um. And again, I think the thing about community is it has to be transformational. I think the only way that community can be transformational, if there's some real transparency and vulnerability with it. Um, I don't think we can get away from that. Some people that really know you, um, and I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, and I've needed community and people to rally around me. Um, Been through some hard things, um, have caused some hard things, and really have needed my community of believers to be with me and walk through me, uh, with me through some things. Uh, And a quick story about that. Um, I was going to go to a central basketball game this year, and I called my friend Sean Stagner. Sean and I are in a group of guys that meet on Wednesday nights, and really we're kind of sharing our stories, sharing what's going on, and it's all about transformation. Bob's in that he's always great about leading us like, okay, where are you stuck? How are we going to get better? How are we going to follow Christ? And um, so Sean's in that group. And I was like, hey, you want to go down to the central game with me? He's like, yeah, sure. So um, it was much more about just being with Sean and, than central basketball. Although central basketball was awesome, by the way, <laughs> to say that. Um, but Sean's kind of was sharing the situation in his life that had been kind of tough, Um, for a few years and he's just talking about this situation and he said this kind of at the end I thought this was awesome he just goes what do you think when you hear that like am I missing something is there an attitude that I have that you think needs to be changed like what do you what do you think when you hear that I just thought that was such a great question not just sharing our stuff, but like real transformation. And the fact, I just was really honored that he would give me that kind of room in his life to ask that kind of a question. Um, and it really allowed us to have this conversation of, you know, Hey, what if we looked at it like this? What if we looked at it where God is really pursuing you through this incident or this thing and that he is allowing this to happen because he wants a deeper intimacy with you. And, uh, it, it was just a great conversation, and it allowed me later on in our time together just because I was kind of sharing something in mind. I was like, what do you think when you hear that? You know, it opened up a door for me to say that too. So um, I think community is so important. I think it has there has to be a level of transparency and vulnerability with it. There has to be some risk with it. You have to allow people to speak into your life, um, and that has been huge for me remaining in Christ. So...
0: Awesome. Thank you, guys. You You know, one of the the things that I go on a ski trip every year um, with some guys, some guys from here, some guys uh, that we went to college with, and um, we've all been following Jesus for quite a long time, and we spend some time each time we're there just kind of updating one another on what God's been doing in our lives since we were last together. And uh, one of the things, you know, that, that is kind of a catchphrase for us is just, hey, we're still in the game. You know, we can look back to guys we went to college with or people we've met along the way that just aren't in the game anymore. And, um, you know, so just sticking in the game uh, is, is important. And uh, thank you for the things you guys shared, um, those were all great. I want to finish today um, just with something that Jesus said, you know. He kept saying, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. Why? Like, what's his heart behind it? If you look at verse 11, Jesus says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I've told you this so that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be complete. And so many of the people that that don't make it, that just kind of fall off. It's because they're confusing happiness and joy. And their circumstances and the time feel like this isn't like what I signed up for. This isn't going the way I want it. This is, this is, I know that if I do this, it's, I'm going to be happy, God. Why won't you let this happen in my life? Right? You know, Judas probably wanted Jesus to overthrow the Romans. <laughs> and he thought that's going to make life better. And my guess is that part of the reason that, Jesus, that Judas didn't make it is because when Jesus was giving all those awesome sermons, <laughs> he was, his mind was off on his own plans. And, and how am I going to get Jesus to do what I want to do with my life? And Jesus says, you know what? The whole reason I'm asking you guys to do this is so that you can have joy. It's not based on your circumstances like you've never imagined your life. could be abundance, fullness, And it might look different than you thought it was going to look, but it's going to be better than what you would have settled for. But it might require some suffering. It might require some trials. It's not always going to be pretty. But trust me in this. I know as your father, as your creator, what's going to make you most full. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this analogy, this example today. Um, that you talk about this story of being connected to you. And God, it's, it's, I'm so grateful that I know that there's a lot of people in this room that are connected to you, that I don't have any doubt. I could, I could go down the list of a lot of people here and say, man, I see fruit in them. I see them becoming like Jesus. I see them committed to community. I see them humble. I see them teachable. I see them investing in others. And God, there's there's others here that that honestly I could look at and say, man, I don't know. I don't know where they are. I mean, they show up, they serve sometimes maybe, but man, I just, I don't see them transforming. I don't see them changing. I don't see them impacting other people. God, I I, I want more for them. And I pray this morning that something would stir in them, that they would want more from themselves, Lord, that... That their desire to honor you with their life would just grow. They would begin to make some space and some room, like Devin and Stacy were talking about. Just quit being so busy so that they can sit and know your word and allow it to change them. God's not interested in us just showing up at church, He's not interested in, in our service, He's not interested in our money, He's interested in our hearts. He wants to know us, and he wants us to know him. So God, I pray that, that we would cling to that, that we would run for it. Man, the offer is there. <laughs> you are just committed to producing fruit in us if we'll just stay connected to you. So help us to do that, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close today?